0: morning. It's quite a passage. Let's pray for God's help. Lord, we invite your presence among us to be working in our hearts as we spend time studying and thinking about meditating on your word in Revelation 17 and 18. We pray in the power of Jesus' name. Amen. While we're We're living in a culture today that is in the midst of a downward spiral, and there doesn't seem to be an end in sight. It's hard to even think about some of the things that are going on in the name of gender-affirming care and the backward mantra of all things LGBTQ and the attack on the family, in which one man and one woman get married, have children, and stay married. And the fury of those who oppose the overturning of Roe v. Wade. And the massive social injustices and inequalities of our nation and the racism that surrounds us and plagues us And the painful effects of power-hungry leaders in our country and even in the church. And shootings. I I just heard this morning about another shooting that happened, I believe, late last night. Shootings. Shootings. And it can feel like, what is going on? What is going on? But here's here's the reality that we must embrace this morning. It's easier for us as a church to point out the craziness that's out there than to think carefully about how we ourselves are tempted and allured and enticed by the culture of our day. And it would be easy for me to preach a sermon that would rile us up against the culture and and rally us to be cultural warriors. But that's not what I've been called to do. And that's not what God's word is calling us to do this morning. Instead, we need to ask some hard questions of ourselves individually, honestly, before God, this morning, some hard questions like, where does our culture have a tug on my heart? How am I personally being sucked into the gravitational pull of all that this world has to offer to me? Where do I need to confess and repent of giving in to the allure of the pleasures of this world. So, Revelation 17 and 18 calls us to live as pilgrims, to live as if this world is not our home, because this world is not our home. And this is the call of God on our lives in the crazy days in which we find ourselves. So, Revelation 17 to 18. I'm going to be using the ESV, the English Standard Version. And I believe that if we look carefully at the structure of these two chapters, we see one central verse in all of the verses in these chapters. that stands out among the others. And the rest of the verses give support and bolster up this one verse in these chapters. And it comes to us in the form of a command. So let's just stare at it for a while and soak in it and meditate on it and wring it of all of the goodness and help that it can bring us this morning. So anticipation has been built. What is this verse that we're talking about? Well, it's chapter 18, verse 4. So if you, as you're going out this morning, I hope you remember one verse in Revelation 17 and 18 that's the key verse. What is it? 18. 4, all right, there it is, 18, verse 4. And it's where God's word to us is simply, come out of her, my people. And what I want us to see is that amidst all the symbolism that captures our imagination in Revelation 17 and 18, but can also be confusing, I want us to see that there's one very simple, clear call on our lives in these chapters. And it ties into the the simple, clear call in the book of Revelation as a whole. And it's this, come out of her, my people. Now, what does that mean? Well, let's look at three key individuals in this verse. Number one, who is her? Who is her? Come out of her, my people. Who is her? Well, her, as we'll see more later, ultimately represents the city of man. Or the cultures of this world that reject God and seduce people to indulge in its sinful pleasures. Think of big cities of our day like Chicago or even like Las Vegas that are full of bright lights and advertisement and money and power and fame and sexual temptation. That's a representation of who her is in this verse. Second, who is calling his people to come out of her? And the answer to that clearly is God is. And so it is God who is calling his people to come out of the city of man, to leave behind the pleasures of this world. God, God in heaven is calling us out. And so this comes to us with, with a weight upon us. But it's also A relief. It's an invitation. Come out of her. Stop living for what's bringing you misery and enter into the joy of the Lord. Number three, who is my people? Well, this is all those who can say to God from the heart, you are my God. God, you are my God personally. I fear and worship and find my all in you now. God's people are those who love and cherish God as their supreme treasure. So putting all this together, we could say it like this. Our God is calling us, his people, to leave behind the sinful allure and pleasures of this world. Our God is calling us, his people, to leave behind the sinful allure and And pleasures of this world. So the same basic message is found in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. Turn there in your Bible with me. Because I want you to see it. I want you to see that God's word is calling us as Christians to this. And 1 John 2, 15 through 17 is going to help us see this. It's very clear, very clear and simple. It's not complicated. First John chapter 2 verses 15 to 17 says this: "Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But those who do the will of God will abide forever. So, this is a serious, sober warning not to get sucked into all that the world has to offer us. Think about it Jesus asks you, Jesus is alive in heaven today. And he's asking you this question today. What will it profit you? What will it profit you to gain the whole world and forfeit your soul? That's what Jesus is asking us this morning. So what entices you? What draws you in that's in this world? Perhaps it's the culture's vanity and the temptation to idolize your physical appearance. It's a big one. Perhaps it's the allure of a romantic relationship outside the bounds of intimacy within marriage. And maybe it's a draw in your heart to someone of the opposite sex who isn't your spouse. And our culture says, ah, it's not so big of a deal to flirt or to pursue that. Perhaps it's the seduction of pornography. Perhaps it's simply the stuff of this world and you just want to make enough money to get the latest thing and your life is revolving around that next thing, that next experience, that next trip. And these things lure you in Perhaps it's a group of friends that when you get around them, you just become a different person. Perhaps it's some app or website that you go to on your phone or your computer, and when you go there, your heart is drawn into what this thing offers you and away from the Lord. Perhaps it's something as simple as the music you listen to. And when you put those AirPods in and you start listening, your mind and heart go to a place that's just not right before the Lord. And, and, and my heart this morning goes out to those who are stuck right now in a destructive, habitual pattern of sin. And you feel like, yeah, the culture is spiraling downward, but my life is spiraling out of control today. And you feel confused and upside down and like you can't get out of the cycle. I've been there. And the Lord this morning is calling you out of that darkness and into light and life and joy again. Out of the sorrow and regret and shame of dark hidden ways and into light and freedom and forgiveness and restoration. If that's where you're at today, maybe you can take the small step of saying help to a trusted Christian friend or pastor. That's a small step, but it's a big step. That's a small step, but it's a hard step. That's a small step, but it's the, it might be the step that you need to take to start seeing some freedom from this downward spiral of sin that you're on right now. Now, I want to note one last thing about this verse. So we've just been on, I promise we're not going to spend this much time on every verse in chapter 17 to 18, but I want to note one last thing About 18.4, that's our verse for this morning, 18.4. One last thing, and it is perhaps the most important thing. Notice with me, look at it there in your Bible, 18.4, notice with me the fact that the verse does not say, come out of her so that you can become my people. It doesn't say that. This is huge. The Bible does not say, stop loving this world so that God will accept you as his own. It never says that. God's word says, come out of her, my people. You see the difference? Come out of her, my people. In other words, because I have graciously chosen you to be my people not because of anything good or bad that you've done, by my sheer grace and mercy, therefore be wholly devoted to me. You're already mine. You're already my people. I'm already your God. Therefore, be 100% in with Jesus. And this theme comes up over and over again in Revelation. Look at chapter 17, verse 14, where Christians are described as those who are called And chosen and faithful. So, in other words, because Jesus died for all of our sins on the cross, salvation is a free and sure gift from God. God has unconditional, unfailing, unending love for us. And God doesn't stop loving and pursuing us when we are tempted to indulge in the things of the world. His love cannot fail toward us. And we as Christians are going to struggle. We're going to be tempted. And you know what? Sometimes we're going to give in to those temptations and we are going to be sucked into the allures of the world. And and so we need to hear this call to come out of her because we're tempted, because we give in, because we're pulled toward God the world, and the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life over and over and over again. You've probably seen the track athlete who has a band, a rubber band around his waist, and maybe another athlete holding back on that band, and his coach is out in front of him saying, run, 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 and he's struggling to run and make progress forward forward with this band around his waist. So we too are being pulled backward every day, every week, every month, year after year in our lives. It's this constant tug. You've felt it. It never stops. And the Lord graciously stands out in front of us and he says, run, run, keep running to me. And ultimately, this world is not our home. Ultimately, our deepest allegiance is to Jesus Christ. Ultimately, I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords. And that's our confession as the church. So come out of her, my people. Now, As I said, everything else in Revelation 17 and 18 serves to give strong support to this call in 18.4. So let's look at two powerful reasons to obey this command in 18.4. Reason number one, come out of her because of who she is. Come out of her because of who she is. Here's what I want us to embrace as truth this morning the world always overpromises and under-delivers. Always. So let's dig a little bit more into who this woman is. The woman, if you look back at seventeen one, she's called the great prostitute. In 17.5, she's called Babylon. And if you imagine these early readers receive this letter, they're reading through it, they get to this point, they say, Oh, that's Rome. That's the city of Rome. They would have immediately understood this. But again, the imagery is used of a prostitute and of sexual immorality. So what's going on here? What what is this all about? Well, as we think about this theme of, of, of adultery and prostitution, our minds go back to the Old Testament book of Hosea. And in that book, in chapter 1, verse 2, it says this. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, "Go take yourself, go take to yourself a wife of whoredom, prostitution, and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So forsaking the Lord or rejection of God can be understood as spiritual adultery. It's not literal, okay? It simply means that the city of man, rejects and forsakes God. And the city of man, the pleasures of this world have this seductive allure on our hearts that can be compared to the allure of an unfaithful, seductive woman. That's, all, that's what John is communicating here. But here's the main thing I want us to see about the description of the woman. Look back at 17 verse 4. 17.4 says this, The woman was arrayed, in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls. So she's looking pretty attractive. But we read on. Holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. She looks so good on the outside. But in reality, she's full of filth. She promises life and pleasure and satisfaction. She delivers death and sorrow and shame and regret. She says she'll make you full, but when you have her, she leaves you empty. And haven't we experienced this with sin and the pursuit of the world? It looks so pleasurable. It looks so fun. It looks so inviting. But in the end, we're left Totally empty and destitute. Tom Brady is still playing football. Age 45. It's amazing. One of the most successful quarterbacks in football history, if not the most successful quarterback. But in a 60 Minutes interview from all the way back in 2005, Steve Croft spoke with Brady. And here's what Tom Brady said. Why? Do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey man, this is what is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life. Me, I think it's gotta be more than this. I mean, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. I mean, I've done it. I'm 27, and what else is there for me? Oh, uh, here's a guy who has all the money he could ever want and was married to a beautiful wife, beautiful kids, living in an amazing house and basically has or at least had everything this world has to offer. And he's saying there's got to be more than this. And later in the interview he says, I wish I knew what it was. It's sad, isn't it? Now, not that any of these things are wrong, money, a wife, children, a house, but they cannot take the place of God in our lives or they become utterly destructive. The world always overpromises and underdelivers. Every time The Lord promises big and delivers big. So God says, come out of her, my people. It's foolish to be living for this world. Don't be enticed by what the world has to offer. Second reason to come out of her is because of what will become of her. So I want to read Revelation 18 verses 1 through 8 and we're going to see that this woman will be judged and we'll also see that there all people on planet Earth will respond in one of two ways to the judgment of this world. And either we will weep over and participate in her destruction or we will rejoice over and escape her destruction. Those are the two options. So Revelation 18, 1 through 8. Read along with me as I read aloud. After, I, after this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven having great authority and the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. For her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others, and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed. As she glorified herself and lived in luxury... So give her a like measure of torment and mourning. Since in her heart she says, I sit as queen, I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. For this reason, her plagues will come in a single day death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire. For mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. And the passage goes on, if we were to continue reading. And it shows the weeping and mourning and, and d- just distress of those who loved this city, this woman. And now it's gone. Let me tell you something. America is not God's chosen nation. And America will not last forever. Nor will China, nor will Russia, nor will any of the nations of this world. God's kingdom lasts forever. We went to see Handel's Messiah here, Handel's Messiah last weekend, and there's that crescendo. He shall reign forever and ever. This is our hope, church. And throughout history, we've seen the rise and fall of the kingdoms of this world. And who knows if America will be the next to fall, even under the judgment of God. But this points us forward ultimately to a final day when Jesus, Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back, and he's going to destroy all of the kingdoms of this world when he comes back. And he will create a new world. In which his kingdom and rule will last forever and ever. And all who have followed Jesus in this life will look on the destruction of the kingdoms of this world that have tried to seduce Christians. And we will rejoice at their downfall. And we will rejoice in the new world that the Lord creates for us where we will live and flourish forever and ever and ever with our God. Therefore, come out of her, my people. Don't get caught. Don't get caught up in this world so that you get caught in the judgment of this world. Come out of her, my people. Now, we need to see that if we are going to reject the pleasures of this world and live for Jesus, there's going to be some negative ramifications because The governments and rulers and regimes of this world don't like that and ultimately don't, are opposed to Christ and to Christians. Look at 17 verse 6. It says, I saw the woman, and how is she described there? Well, she's described drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And if you look at 17.3, you'll see that the woman is sitting on a beast that has seven heads and ten horns. And there are, if you opened up seven commentaries in front of you and you read those seven commentaries, they would all have different interpretations of who this beast is and who these seven heads are and the the ten horns and what all of this means. So we're not going to get into the details of these varying interpretations. But the beast we were first introduced to in chapter 13. Now who is this beast? Well, Pastor David, he described that beast as the ravaging and idolatrous power of the state that demands our ultimate loyalty. This would have been the powerful, violent governing of Rome and leaders like Nero way back then. But today, it takes expression as oppressive regimes like Syria and Iran and North Korea But here's what I want us to hear and what I believe the main point of this message is about the beast. If you commit to living your life wholeheartedly for King Jesus, the powers and rulers and regimes of this world will not like that. And don't think that it couldn't come to us here. We will be at least pushed to the side of society and at most... And we've seen this around the world and throughout history for Christians, martyred. The global church throughout history has experienced this. The city of man and the rulers of this world are opposed to Christians. And again, we're feeling that heat turned up more right here. But again, I believe that John here in Revelation 17 also points to a future day. There is this seventh head that comes up and these ten horns and the beast, beast is described as he who was and is not but he's going to come again. And so there's this final day coming when there will be this intensification of opposition toward Christians. And, and so the call for us is to be living now in preparation for that hard day that's coming and to not be caught unaware when that day comes. We should be living every day not lured into spiritual sleep by this world so that we're ready when the hardship of persecution comes. Now, a lot of what I've said so far has been negative. I've, here's what I mean. I've, I've basically said up to this point, deny yourself the pleasures of this world and suffer for it. Welcome to church. (laughs) But there's a positive side that we must not forget. So if we fast forward to Revelation 19, we see that there's another woman, another woman. And she's not an unclean prostitute. She's a pure bride, the bride of Christ. So let's read Revelation 19, 6 through 9. And read about the marriage supper of the Lamb. 196. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, "Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready." Now let me let you in on a little secret. That's you. You and I are the bride of Christ. And what this means is that this is our future. Okay, let's keep reading. Verse 8, it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. For those of us who follow the lamb in this broken wilderness of a world, we have the Lord as our treasure and we will live forever with him. Now I'd say that's pretty positive and a pretty good draw for us to follow Jesus in this life. Come back next week because we're going to hear more about this from Revelation 19. Let's pray together. Father, we give thanks to you for the power of your word. Help us to live with hope because you're with us even though this life is hard. It is often painful. We go through trials and difficulties and sufferings and yet you are with us and you will bring us safely home. And so we trust in you, and we give thanks to you. In Jesus' name, amen.